Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing this morning? You guys going, doing good? How many of y'all are blessed to be in church today? I am. I, I, and uh, especially, um, I don't mean to single her out because she, she hates this, but first time on the worship team, Victoria, you did awesome. Yes, joining our worship team, leading us in worship, and you just did awesome, so thank you so much. And everybody else too, but this is your first. This is your first one, so great. Um, you guys, before we get started here, um, I just let you know a month a month ago, John and I just decided that we needed to do a better job of marketing our church to the community. We just we just were missing the boat, weren't we, J.K. And, and always, and so we just we we spent what like five million dollars last month, about five million, five point three million last month. To come up, we did uh, means testing, we did focus groups, and everything to come up with the greatest church marketing strategy you've ever seen. Okay, and I'm happy to announce that this is our new 2023 church marketing strategy. Here it is, right here. Blah, blah, just come to church, okay? That is so catalyst. Okay, that's just, that's just the way it is. So that's, you'll be hearing a lot more about that. I'm kidding. You know, that was not $5 million. That was only 4.9. Anyway. Right, so uh, anyway, blah, blah, just come to church. I'm glad you guys did that. Brave in the cold, brave in the inclement weather. And uh, with NCAA March Madness and the cats playing today, I'm glad you guys are here. A lot of you guys are here to pray for the cats because <laughs> they need it. Okay, but uh, we're, we're glad. And um, we're also here to celebrate the fact that even though we hate Tennessee, do bit the dust. So, yes, yep, yep. Poor, poor Christian Leitner will never be popular around here. Those of you all that weren't alive in 1990, uh, just ask someone who was why we hate Christian Leitner so much. We pray for, pray the Lord forgive us. But anyway, all right, so we are here to continue in our series on one. Um, it, it, we, we timed it, interestingly enough, last year with the Asbury Revival that happened a couple months ago. Um, the, the church did something really amazing after the day of Pentecost, after their own revival. And they set up a church, they set up a community that is still relevant today. And so what the church did after their revival in the book of Acts chapter 2 is what we're doing now after the Asbury revival. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Today we're focusing on verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That was always a major part of the church. The church community took care of its own. Okay? They, they, they knew who had need in the church community, and they took care of them. Now, the, the early church made their resources available to others. Okay, Not necessarily they, gave, they made them available. They had a radically different starting point than most of us. Most of us uh, believe that what we have is ours. But the early church and the Bible in general starts at a very different point, so that it all belongs to God. The early church believed that everything they had belonged to God, that they were simply managers of everything they had. And therefore, it was available because God owned it all. If God said to send it over here, they did it. That was where they started. Now, understand, 
If you start anywhere other than that, that it's all his, then giving and generosity and helping others will always be a problem for you. It will be, you'll, you will be a grudging giver if you give it all. You will, uh, you will feel, uh, you'll feel very put upon, taken advantage of, whatever, uh, when somebody is, is in need. Unless you start from the point that it's all God's, um, they, uh, uh, you, you're always going to have a problem with giving and generosity. Um, uh, the early church didn't have that problem. They saw everything as, as God's. I know so many Christians who want that, that, that want to begin at that point uh, for themselves and for others, to have their resources available to people because most people I know, at least in the church, are very, very, very tenderhearted, that, that love people very much and they hate seeing people suffer and they hate seeing people uh, with needs and they go, then they go unmet. The problem is that our resources aren't available, not necessarily because of our hearts being bad, but because they're committed places we wish they weren't. And guys, God wants so much for you more than financial chaos. He wants so much more for you. I hope that after this message, there'll be even more of you signed up to, to do Financial Peace University when we, when we offer it and seek out both Kevin, me, Kevin, where are you? Raise your hand. Right there, yeah. Um, and, and myself, who are, who are certified financial counselors with Dave Ramsey program. We'll do a budget for you. We'll help you get out of the financial trap. But this entire, uh, this mess is going to be addressing the biggest form of slavery in our, in our midst, which is financial slavery. They're committed elsewhere. But here, this is what God's goal is for you, okay? For this church and for you. Deuteronomy 15.6, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but borrow from none. That is his goal for you, to be able to lend but not have to borrow. Now, for Americans, that is a pipe dream because we can't even fathom life without debt. We cannot fathom doing things without putting them on credit cards or borrowing money. We can't even fathom owning a car without having payments. We can't imagine owning a house without having payments. We can't imagine not sending a check or having an automatic withdrawal from our bank accounts to a credit card company every single month. But this is what God's goal is for you, to lend to many and borrow from none. Before we can get there, something major has to change. We have to understand it's all his. It's all his. God is sovereign over our finances. Why? Because it's all his. Um, this, this, this is uh, not our building. We don't own this building. God owns this building. Those are not your clothes that you're wearing. Those are God's clothes. Um, you didn't drive here in a car you own. That's God's car. Um, uh, he owns it everything. It's all. Uh, you don't owe the, like I said, you don't own the car you drove here in. It, it says this. If God owns it, you say, well, if God owns it, then he can make the car payments, right? Yeah? Well, he, yes, he is because he owns the money that you use to pay the car payment. It's all his. You don't own the house you live in. All the dollars you pay every month, the mortgage you live in, those are all God's. Every one of them. It's all his. Psalm 24, 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 50, verse 9 says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Say that with me. It's all his. I want to say it, say it one more time. It's all his. Okay? And I have no idea why that doesn't fire people up. That's, that, that, I don't know why, because when I hear that, that fires me up. Uh, maybe it's because we've forgotten what God wants for us. I want you to pull Deuteronomy 15, 6 back up. It's all his, and he wants to bless you, so you borrow from none and lend to many. 
Now, how many of you all, if I ask, are in a position where you borrow from none and lend to many? How many? I don't want to see hands because that's not my business. And how many of you all are in that situation right now? You owe nothing. You're completely debt-free. You owe nothing. And you can give. You can lend as the Lord determines. That is what he wants for you. Okay? You might want to give the Lord's ways a shot. Seeing how not many of us are in that situation. It's all his. Now, I'm going to give you guys three lies that sound like truth, okay? Because this, this, these, are, these are lies that our culture tells us, but they sound like they're true, okay? Here are three lies that sound like truth. Number one, all the church talks about is money. Have you heard that one? I've heard that one. I've heard that one a lot, okay? Uh, I'm going to say something controversial. I believe just the opposite. I believe the church doesn't talk enough about money, Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that churches are usually the bank's worst borrower. Do you know that? You know that preachers, apparently bankers, if you ask any banker, lending to anyone with a, that, whose profession starts with a P is terrible, and pastors are in that. I think it's like plumbers, painters, preachers, uh, I, can't remember, I can't remember what the other ones are, like policemen, and uh, if it starts with a P, you don't lend them money, okay? Um, the second worst borrower, like I said, pastors. How many of us are in terrible financial shape? Well, how is that when the Bible is chock full of financial advice? The Bible is chock full of financial advice, and yet so many of us are in terrible financial shape. Some of the best life-changing money instruction I've ever had has come from the church. Dave Ramsey's stuff is straight out of the Bible. One of his greatest contributions to us is making it okay to talk about money. The problem isn't the church doesn't talk about money. The problem is that the church only talks about money when it's time for a capital campaign, right? Can I get an amen? Okay, yeah, we, we, we haven't done that in a long time. Thank goodness, because I hate those too. Uh, it, it, that's the truth. So it seems every time the church talks about money, it's all about how it can benefit the church. But we don't talk about how, how we can benefit the people, okay? I get that. Uh, it's not, and it's a self-inflicted injury church that brought on themselves. It was not because they talk about money too much, because they talk about too little. I was singing this the other day. I was preparing for this message, and this is, I always get so fired up. I'm such a kid. I'm so easily fired up by this, but I was going, I, I looked at last year's uh, finances. Last year, Catalyst sent $50,078 to missions. That was 15.6% of our budget, you all. I want you guys to look up. See that right there? See that, the, the paint there and, the, and the everything? Okay, we could spend that 50 grand a lot of places like <laughs> fixing our ceiling, like, uh, uh, like doing all kinds of things, like providing benefits, like putting AC in our offices upstairs, HVAC. That'd be nice on a cold day, okay? We could do that, but we would rather fund the work of the Lord around the world, Okay? And, and that's to our missionaries, that's to Elevate Christian Church, our church plan election, I'm so proud of them. Um, to our, our well project in India, we gave the entire Christmas Day offering, like 8000 something dollars to that well project. And by the way, they want someone from Catalyst to come over there for the dedication, and we're working on that, but that's happening. Um, uh, and our little nothing church in the middle of nothing Kentucky, $50,000, that's huge, Could a church our size send 10 times that amount? Could we, little nothing church, in the middle of nothing Kentucky, 
send half a million dollars to the kingdom, to missions, to building, to furthering the kingdom? Could we? People say, well, no way. Well, dream with me here. What if we totaled up all the debt payments that everybody in this church, every family in this church makes every year? Would it be $500,000? Probably. See, guys, the body of Christ is sending half a million somewhere. It's just not to missions. And I, just dream with me, you all. Could, what if every person in here looked at God and said, everything I have is yours, and I'm going to get, I'm, I want to be in that position where I borrow from none and I lend to many, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to stop sending my money to credit card companies and, and banks and, and car, car places and everything, and I'm just going to take it. I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to pay it all off, and I'm going to send it, Lord, where you want me to send it. It wouldn't be hard at all for us to send half a million dollars to the mission field. See, it's going somewhere. It's just not going where God wants it to go. What kind of kingdom impact could we have instead of sending that at 18% interest to a credit card company, 7.5% to a mortgage lender? But instead, this month, the next month, and the month after that, people who call Jesus Lord and Savior will send debt payments and interest to lenders when the vision is that we borrow from none. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who would love for that to be different. I can't tell you how many people every year come up to me and say, I would love to go on a mission trip. I would love to sponsor children in the orphanage. I would love to buy a piece of land over in India or in Pakistan, over in Nepal, and plant a church there. I just can't afford it. Our hearts are there. I just can't. I can't afford it. I'm up to my eyes in debt, and I don't see a way out. So we need to get more serious about what the Bible says about money because we don't talk about it enough. We just don't talk about it enough. We need to get serious. I bet most of you have never heard that verse of Scripture that God wants for you and your family to borrow from none and lend to many. I bet you all have never heard that. What a shame. We don't talk about money nearly enough. Maybe the body of Christ wouldn't be in such a terrible financial shape. Lie number two that sounds like truth is this. Money and things can satisfy me. First Timothy 6.10 says this, For love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It, 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 we drive down, oh, if I just had that house, I would be happy. If I just had that car, I'd be happy. If I just made a little bit more, I'd be happy. Well, every day we're bombarded with advertisements. Tell us how happy we'd be if we just had a little bit more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 tells us, though, whoever has money wants more. Whoever has possessions will never be satisfied. We need to change our attitude. On the way to work yesterday, I was listening to a Family Talk podcast, and, and I heard the story of this woman who racked up more than $200,000 in credit card debt. Stuff for her, stuff for her husband, stuff for her kids, uh, stuff to give us gifts. And every time she would buy something, next day she'd regret it. It got to the point where she would arrange her schedule. I'm not talking to anybody here because I'm sure no one in here does this. Arrange her schedule to be home before her husband so she could intercept the credit card bills so he wouldn't see them. I'm sure no one in here gets home early to get the Amazon packages off the porch. You know, no, no, um, no not, not in here. But it almost destroyed their marriage when he finally found out. She actually blamed him, she said, 
for this. Why don't you have a job where you earn enough? He threw that back in his face. He blamed her for spending on everything and anything. And it wasn't until they saw 1 Timothy 6.10 that they realized what was going on. That, that uh, love of money is the, is the root of all kinds of evil. I listened to her testimony about how she'd grown up as a preacher's kid and, uh, and had always been a Christian, but she'd, she'd uh, you know, bought into the point, to the, been brought to the point of brokenness. She and her husband both realized that money wasn't the problem, their hearts were the problem, she said. It was an amazing podcast. I'll see if I can find the link to it and, and put it up on Catalyst Life for you guys. They were wandered away from the faith even though they'd been in church. They replaced God as number one. And the acquisition of things and materialism put that, became the center of their lives. And she said something to James Dobson that really resounded with me. She said, without committing to Christ, without surrendering our finances to God, we would never have gotten out of debt. said, I talk to people all the time who call me. They've heard, this, heard, heard her story. Call me and write me about our tremendous turnaround. They want strategies and steps. And she said this, I tell them, none of these strategies work unless you first commit to Christ. Unless you allow Jesus to be sovereign over your finances, to do what he says, nothing I tell you will work. And she said, half the people hang up the phone when she tells them that. They don't want heart change, they want strategies. Said about the other people, the other half do it, and she counsels them out of debt and financial disaster. Money and things won't satisfy us. Lie number three that sounds like truth. It's my money, I can do whatever I want with it. Lie that sounds like truth. Luke 12, 16 through 21, Jesus tells a parable about that very attitude. Listen to this. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Guys got... Life, you know, he's got life planned out. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Who, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, not rich towards God. Now, don't hear what, God, what, what Satan wants you to hear this morning in that parable. Because uh, he wants you to hear that as soon as you get some stuff, God's going God's to take your life. Nope. What God wants you to hear is this last line. Then who will get what are you prepared for yourself? It's a good question. I was sitting on my back porch oh, a little while ago, looking out over my vast third of an acre property. Beautiful creek and everything, and I was like, this is mine. It's amazing. And then, I, I don't know if the Holy Spirit in my own heart you know, put the thought in my head. How many people have sat in this exact spot since the beginning of time and said, hey, this is mine? Probably a lot. We weren't the first people to own our house. Probably they weren't the first pe- person to own that p- piece of property and, and so on and so forth. I'm a manager of my house for the little time that I'm here and someone else is going to have it. Um, wealthiest man in Jessamine County, R.J. Corman. Everybody knows who he was. A vast property. R.J.'s gone. Who's got it now? Someone else, right? And when they're gone, someone else. And when they're gone, someone else. Guys, it's all... His. It's not our money. It's not our homes. It's not our car. It's his. And it's about time we start treating it that way. And those are the lies that sound like truth. Now I've got some truths that sound like lies. All right? Truths that sound like lies. Number one is this. God determines how much money I have. Do you know that? 
And you say, well, no way. There's no way that God is, determines how much money I have. Yep, yeah, he does. Look what uh, Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18 says. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. It is God's, God determines how much you have. Some are wise with it, some are foolish with it, but the end, God determines how much I have. Why? Because it's all his. Exactly. Truth number two, sounds like a lie. God has the power to shut down my company, my business, and dry up my source of income without a moment's notice. That is a truth. You say, no way. Well, let's go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, verse 20 through, 20, uh, through 32 Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and, and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god other than their own god. Therefore, I decree the people of any nation or language saying anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar is praising God after the fiery furnace incident. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 3. But just a few years later, in verse 29, 32, 12 months later, a few months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty? Kind of like me sitting on the back of my porch. Is this not my third of an acre in Nicholasville, Kentucky? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is, what the, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. And you will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you uh, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. It happened in the past. It can happen now, y'all. Why? Because it's all his. Truth number three. Anyone can have financial peace. Anyone. You're like, no, there's no way. I'm so far in financial chaos. There's no way. Yes, there is a way. Because it's all his. We just need to have an attitude change. Our attitude must change. Number one, we have to truly move the thought that it's all his from here to here. The neck is a problem. The neck blocks what is up here from getting into here. Let's clear out the airway and let's move the concept that's all his from here to here and start embracing it, start loving it, and realize that it's all his. Hey, Matthew 21, 33 through 41. Check out this. I love this. Jesus talked about this all the time. Check this out. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He rented the tent vineyard out to some farmers and moved to another, moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect its fruit. The tenants seized his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said, here, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. What was wrong with those tenants? They started to think the property was theirs. 
they started to think, they forgot the landowner owned it all. And they said, this is ours. And they began to grow resentful when the landowner said, hey, let's fulfill our agreement here. I rented this to you. I get the first of the crops. You keep the rest. And that wasn't enough for the tenants. They're like, no, no, no. Who, how, who are you to tell us what to do here? And the landowner says, I'm the landowner. It's all mine. The tenants say, forget you. And they beat and they abuse and, and, and the, 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 the collectors. Then they kill his son. Gee, I wonder who Jesus was talking about in that parable. Us. We're the tenants. This is God's place. It's all his. And yet we have become like those tenants thinking that it's all ours. And we grow resentful when God says, no, I want this to go over here. This belongs to me. We grow resentful. Those tenants are us, you all. Our attitude has to change. We're just renters. That's all we are. Second thing we have to understand, attitude has to change, is that we're managers, not owners. We're managers, not owners. Psalm 50, verse 9 through 12, I have no need of a bull from your stall, God's, God's saying to this, or goats from your, from your pens, or every, every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, every insect of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. That's what God is saying to humanity. It's all mine. We are God's investment agents. Now, a couple months ago, my wife, uh, we, we set up an investment account for her. She, she got the benefit of, of a 401k. And so we, uh, we, we sat down with the dude and we said, okay, we are going to be sending you X amount of dollars each month. We want them to go here, here, and here. And the investment dude said, no, I think I'm going to pocket it. I'm going to use it for myself. I'm going to buy myself a, uh, uh, you know, a wave runner for the, for the ocean from vacation this, this summer, and I'm going to buy myself a motorcycle, and I'm going to buy a second vacation home. I don't know how much money he thinks we're sending, but uh, if your investment person did that, what would you do? You'd be, oh, yeah, that's awesome, fantastic. Yeah, throw, throw a little bit our way when you can, will you? No, that's not what you would do. You'd have them arrested. Because that's theft, right? Well, all of your resources, sum total of your, your house, your car, your, your, your bank account, everything, God has given you that, and he says, you're my investment person. These things are mine. I'm giving, you to, I'm giving them to you to manage, and I want you to manage them responsibly. I want you to manage them as I see fit, not as you, but I see fit because it's all mine. And... If you were to say, well, you know, God, I know, that, I know what you want me to do over here, but I'm just going to go spend it over here, you're a thief. We wouldn't put up with that being done to us, right? We, we, we wouldn't put up with that with an investment person, and yet we expect God to put up with that with us? See, guys, we're managers, not owners. Don't own anything. When you get a hold of this concept, y'all, everything changes in your life, everything. Biggest purchase Rachel and I have ever made, the home we currently live in. We did all the right things. We looked at the cost was. We looked at whether or not it would suit our family needs. We calculated the mortgage was less than 25% of our income, which is what all the financial gurus tell you. We did all that stuff. You know what we didn't do? We never prayed about it. We never said, Lord, is this what you want for our family? 
is, is this where you want us to live? Is, is this piece of your kingdom what you want us to manage for a while? We didn't do that. What if God had not wanted that much of our money going to a mortgage? What if he had other plans for that money? You say, God doesn't have the right to tell me where to live. Yes, he does. Because you're his. And the home you live in is his. And the money you pay for a mortgage is his. Absolutely has a right. God has a right to tell you how much of his money he wants going for a mortgage. Yes, he does. God has a right to tell you how much of his money he wants you to give to the church. God has a right to tell you how much of his money you want, he wants you to spend on vacations. God has a right to tell you how much of his money he wants going to support missionaries. Why? Because it's all his. And like I said, when you make this mindset shift, everything changes. I can see it now. I can see it now from people. I don't like that. Well, what's God's goal for you? To lend to many but borrow from none. If you get a hold of this concept, you're living in that state of blessedness. He wants all your financial worries gone. He wants to bless you immensely so that all will go well in this life, in the life to come. But we have to do things his way. Okay? Have to do things his way. Don't be like those people that called in the show asking how that lady got out of $200,000 of credit card debt. She tells you the answer and you hang up because you don't like the answer. Okay? Don't be like those people. Do things God's way. And the third thing that happens when we embrace this is that we worry less. Right now, stress and anxiety and worry is at all-time highs. I've never seen people more stressed, more anxious, more depressed. And if you don't think that is, walk into any middle school or high school. Apparently, mental health Anxiety, worry are at an all-time high, and teachers are having to deal with that all day long. Check this out, Psalm 37, 25. I was once young, and I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. See, Rachel and I rented a duplex for the first three years that we were married. It was nice. It was great being a renter. Something broke, I just called the landlord. Hey, come over here and fix it. I have to pay for it or anything. It was great. Wonderful. Now that I'm a homeowner, it's different. My back deck has floorboards that need to be replaced. Now I have to do that. Uh, our garage door spring broke last month. We had to get that fixed. I couldn't call the landlord. Uh, our back door has a rotten wood about it. It needs to be replaced. Now I've got all the worries of an owner. Okay. We realize that God is the owner, and we're the renters, it takes the pressure off. How much of the worries that you carry and the anxieties you carry are not yours to carry? They're not yours? The, the worries are not yours? Because you're thinking like an owner, like it's your job, instead of thinking like a renter? Hey, this is God's job. This is God's job to handle this. What I'm stressed about, that's not mine to carry. I, I, I've taken on the position of, a, of an owner, and I'm, I'm worried about all this stuff, but I'm really not the owner. I'm the renter. It's God's job. When I was a renter, I just had to be faithful in doing what I was supposed to do. I paid, I paid the, the bills. I paid the, I, I paid the utilities. That's all I had to do. And the landowner took care of everything else. Same is true in life, people. God has said it. To be faithful, to manage my money as he sees fit. What God says, and I will take care of everything else. Once we change our mindset from it's all mine, it's all his, we're on the path to blessing and peace, 
rid of financial chaos and debt and arguing and stress and all the stuff that goes with it. Um, I found this great picture. I love this picture, this news article right here. Check this out. Kenya pastor who claims to be Jesus Christ runs to the police after community vowed to crucify him this Easter so he could rise on the third day. Okay. He wanted to be Jesus until it started to cost him. He, he was like, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't want that part of Jesus. I just want the part with the followers, right? Okay. So many people want to follow Jesus until it costs them. And then they're gone. Well, if we're going to be the community that God wants us to be, we're going to have to follow what Jesus said. And we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is. And we're going to have to do things God's way. That's it. It's all his. So the question is, are your resources available to God? Are they available to the community of faith? Not out of obligation, but out of love. Do we love God enough? Do we love each other enough? to make our resources available. If, if I could have a selfish prayer request, I wasn't kidding about that half a million dollars to missions. I really wasn't. It's been a dream of mine. Maybe even a million to missions. I would love for that to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I would love for it to. Would you all please just begin praying for our church that in God's time, that we could send $500,000 from this little faithful church in the middle of Kentucky to impact the world for the kingdom. Would you guys please just, just write that down maybe, your Bible, or maybe put a reminder to pray for that at least once a week or, or something like that. Lord, make our church able to do that. That's just, gosh, it's one of my heartbeats. I would love to be able to do that. So if you guys would do that for me, i greatly appreciate it. You guys are awesome. I hope you have a great day. God bless you. See you next Sunday.